All right. So, Jesus visits Mary and Martha. Today's passage. If you've heard it spoken on uh, before or read it before, there's a chance you may have interpreted it or heard Martha being cast in a somewhat disparaging light. Perhaps something along the lines of, well, we need to be, and we need to strive to be more like Mary and less like Martha. Um, Kara Strickland uh, wrote an article called Martha Misunderstood. And she, um, she says that in the eyes of many Christians that she's heard, um, Martha has become, has come to represent the, the influence of the world, the, all the distractions, all the busyness, all the things that we have to do. And, and Mary is, represents the ideal that we are to emulate sitting at Jesus' feet. Well, of course, the world is full of distractions. We can live our entire lives being distracted. Perhaps at this point in history, we can be distracted more than at any point. We can fill our lives with whatever we wish. And, but even if you say that, um, well, I'm not distracted, I'm pretty good at that. Many of us have lives that are just full of things. All the things. There's so many things. And the situation we have here today, let's put the text up here, is a big dinner. Jesus and the disciples have come over. Martha is trying to get uh, everything ready for it. She is the point person for this dinner. Now, I've never been the point person for a big dinner, such as Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, perhaps you have, um, but I've not. Um, and I've assisted, though, and I... I can understand that for these dinners, there's, when many people are coming over, there's many things to do. Many hands are needed, and many hands would make light work, as the saying goes. But Martha here doesn't have many hands. No. And as we read this passage, or as I read it um, for the first time again, uh, as I was preparing what to say about it, questions arose. Like, is Mary shirking? Her duty here, what she should be doing, helping her sister. Does Mary even care? Does she give a rip about this dinner, that her sister is doing everything herself? Is Martha justified in calling out her sister as she does? Do details and preparation and organization matter at all to Jesus? Does Jesus care about what Martha's going through? I mean, it's easy to be less than satisfied with Jesus' response here. It's like, what? 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 What's going on? Is he reinforcing the attitude that details prep for a big meal don't matter, that it's fine that one person is doing all the things and maybe getting burnt out? Surely, surely Mary should fold the napkins or, or make the punch or something. Jesus, please tell Mary to do something. But with many responses that Jesus gives in the Gospels, I think uh, after we've kind of scratched our head in wonderment about it, we need to kind of scratch below the surface of this scene to see and uh, maybe understand what Jesus is saying more fully. 
Because again, I think we see in the Gospels, often the answers that Jesus gives people um, take a little bit of unpacking to understand. For example, in John 6, he's talking to a crowd of people. Um, He's talking about eternal life. And he tells them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have eternal life. Now, many people, it says, found the teaching too hard to understand. They just saw it at the surface and they thought, well, you know, Jesus, you don't, you did a few cool things. You, you fed 5,000 people. You, uh, you know, walked on water. That was pretty cool. But this eating your flesh, uh, that's, sorry, I'm out. I'm done. They left. And the thing is, in that passage, Jesus doesn't try to um, explain it. It's like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Um, that was kind of a metaphorical thing. <laughs> That's just, there's a spiritual meaning behind that. I didn't actually literally mean that. I mean, he just lets it sit there and the people go off. And I, I wonder if he's, he's wondering if who is really going to believe, who is going to tease out that thread of truth to unravel the deeper truth beneath his words. And I think today, in a similar way, I don't believe Jesus is saying when there's big dinners, it doesn't matter about organization or prep or anything like that. Practical things, organizational things are superfluous to the kingdom. They're unimportant. They don't matter. I think there's another meeting here, perhaps. So what could that be? Well, I will offer what I think uh, and with an open hand for you to consider. Um, But we know this situation, again, Jesus and the disciples are over visiting Mary and Martha. And Lazarus was also um, a sibling, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Siblings, we learn in John 11 that Jesus loved them. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He had a connection with them, um, perhaps a different connection than he had with most people, at least different enough that in John 11, he points, it's been pointed out they, uh, they, that Jesus loved these three. And they're connecting over a meal. Martha is preparing a meal. And how often do we connect over a meal uh, in the past? And as we come back together after the restrictions have been eased somewhat, where food is a great connection point. Uh, I know a few would probably disagree with that. Um, and many of us that are here and on Zoom, in Zoom and then are on vacation, connected last month at Gordy, uh, Gordy's birthday party at Marcus and Dee's. And that was a great time of connection over food. And um, it was a great night. But I, I doubt that Marcus and Dee snapped their fingers and the food appeared. They snapped their fingers and the invites were sent out. They snapped the fingers and the plot to get Gordy there, not knowing that there is 50 people waiting for him. I hardly, I highly doubt that it just, just happened. I mean, there was lots of prep. There was lots of organization. It was a great night. Everyone felt welcomed because of the detail that went into it, I, be, I, would, I would suggest. And here, Martha has welcomed Jesus and the disciples into her home. She's practicing hospitality, generosity. She's being generous with her time and her resources, her home. I think we need to focus on that part. Often we can get to uh, 
maybe a more of a negative view of Martha, but just the mere fact that she opened her home to him and the disciples. Very generous thing that she's doing. But just like, uh, just as now uh, and then as well, meals don't cook themselves. They don't prepare themselves unless they had ancient microwaves. And I suppose you could throw something in the microwave and get it done. But uh, of course, there wasn't those. And uh, I, I dare say Martha probably wouldn't cook a whole meal in a, mi uh, in a microwave if, even if she had one. But anyway, so she's preparing this meal. And it says that she is distracted by. She's been pulled away by. She's anxious about all the things the big dinner entails. She has the Son of God over. She has the Messiah. She believes this is who he is. And the disciples, she wants things to be uh, great. I mean, of course you would, wouldn't you? And Mary, her sister, while Martha's doing all the things, Mary is sitting on the floor by Jesus. Just sitting there listening at Jesus' feet while he teaches his disciples. Now, besides irritating Martha, uh, Mary is uh, doing a countercultural thing by sitting at Jesus' feet. Rabbis did not teach women in that culture. It was not permitted. It was verboten. It was not done. But Mary doesn't care about that. She's sitting and listening. Women were also expected, when there were gatherings together, to serve and prepare the food. So Mary is also not doing that. So you could say that as well, as uh, along with irritating uh, Martha, she's irritating her culture. And we see also another way, a very dramatic way, that Mary is um, kind of countercultural. It's in John 12, where she takes the perfume you might know the story. She takes perfume that cost a year's wages. She pours it over Jesus, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, let's set the perfume aside. I want to focus on the wiping um, his feet with her hair. Um, besides being a bit gnarly, I mean, imagine wiping somebody's feet today with uh, your hair, uh, let alone back then where everyone had sandals or walked in bare feet on hot, dusty roads and stopped on who knows what. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like, it's a little, little, little uh, just put it in perspective. It is a little gnarly, but, uh, but the mere fact that she let her hair down to do that is a countercultural act because women also did not let their hair down. It, I believe, was considered, it marked you as kind of a loose woman. If you were married, it would be a almost a grounds for divorce. So we have countercultural Mary. She's not following custom by helping to prepare and serve the food. She's being taught by a rabbi, and later we learn she's letting her hair down. And we have, well, that's Jesus there justifying her action. Very, and he's not, he's not uh, afraid to be countercultural, we'll say that, especially with the Jewish elite and their customs and their enforcement. He loves to do things against the grain. 
So we have countercultural Mary, countercultural Jesus right there. And Martha is irritated. I bet she wishes Mary was a bit more culturally relevant at this point. And uh, we see that. She calls Mary out in front of everyone and says, tell her to come and help me. Now, this is pretty incredible. If you put yourself in this situation, you have, uh, say you're Mary, you're sitting in the living room, um, and you have an honored guest over with other people, and you're listening to the honored guest speak about something, and you're wrapped, you're captured by this speaker. And then your sibling, uh, uh, or spouse, or whoever, comes in and, and, and doesn't uh, say, um, excuse me, Sonny, uh, could, you, could I talk to you over here? I, I, uh, I, need, I really need some help in the kitchen. Can I just talk to you over here about that? It's not like she'd pull, pull Mary aside quietly. It was like she burst in and says, not to Mary, but says to the honored guest, to Jesus, to tell Mary to get up and come and help her. I mean, that is pretty bold. That is pretty direct. I mean, you, maybe you could see some sibling friction there, perhaps. Or maybe this is just merely Martha's frustration and anxiety coming out as she blurts this to Jesus, not really thinking. But it also, I think, uh, reveals a bit of the relationship Martha had with Jesus. It gives us a glimpse that she would feel comfortable enough to be this direct to Jesus, that she knows him well enough to do this, that she can show her irritation, show her frustration, and be very direct with Jesus about her request, and that he's okay with it. He's okay with it, and that he'll hear her. And to go back to Kara Strickland's article again, perhaps this is something that Martha is modeling for us, as well as being generous with her time, as well as opening her home. Perhaps her directness, her presenting her request directly to Jesus, her venting to him, um, and knowing that she will not be reprimanding, excuse me, reprimanded uh, is something to follow. It reminded me of the psalmist who had a relationship with God. And as you read through the Psalms, there's Psalms of lament, Psalms of saying, where are you, God? Why aren't you here? Uh, why don't you come and save me? And I see this similar kind of thing with Martha. I need help. Tell her to help me. And then look at Jesus' response. He says, well, this translation is Martha, Martha, but other translations have, my dear Martha. My dear Martha. I think that's um, revealing as well. It shows that he knows her. He knows what makes Martha tick. It shows a fondness for Martha. I mean, we, as I mentioned, um, he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And this reveals that. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, 
Martha, stop what you're doing. Stop all the things. They don't matter. Stop them. You don't need them. He says, you are worried and anxious, worried and upset. He notices her state and addresses it as she's trying to do all the things. He doesn't say you're doing too many things, though she may have more things that she can handle. And indeed, this is why she's come in. She wants Jesus to tell Mary to, tell, to get up and help her. But Jesus responds, few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. And I don't think this is saying, he's saying, well, the details aren't important. Uh, how the, the lamb's going to get cooked or the potatoes get done or the beans um, and all the timing and if the table's set. And he's not saying that doesn't matter. Um, in Luke 11, um, Jesus was at another dinner. He was at a dinner with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they love their rituals. They love them some rituals, let me tell you. And uh, just for the sake of doing it, you know, we, I'm not going to get into debate about the value of doing repetitive actions in worship. But um, they had this ceremonial hand-washing uh, that they would do before a meal, which sounds pretty good. Wash your hands before you eat. I mean, that's what we do. But Jesus declines to wash his hands at the Pharisees' dinner. And the Pharisees are like, come on, Jesus, just give us something here, you know. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing it. And I don't, it's not that Jesus didn't believe in washing his hands before he ate. Of course not. He, and there in that passage, he, uh, he makes his point clearly. Like, what I'm doing here is, I'm trying to make this point about exterior and interior, but he makes it with a cup. It doesn't matter how clean you are on the outside, Pharisees, talking to you, you know. If your insides are unclean, if they're, you're corrupt, you don't have love for the poor, you, if everything is spick and span, it doesn't matter if your insides are far from that. And so here, I think there's an alternative me meaning similar to that that dinner with the Pharisees. There, he's not saying we shouldn't plan and organize things, that we should just wing everything. I think there's a broader perspective here. He uses this situation to springboard into a broader point, I believe. Perhaps he's saying here when the busyness and the cares and the worries and anxieties of life overwhelm us, putting them in perspective against things of ultimate importance, such as our relationship with him, will help. That when life becomes overwhelming, stopping and sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his voice, will help. So I don't think he's saying that preparation organization is useless. This is, I think, a broader point about how the busy, busy no, excuse me, I'm just going to get some water here. So I think he's making a broader point about how the details and busyness of life can crowd him out. Him who is life. The way, the truth, the life. And then uh, choosing to rest as, at his feet as Mary did and listening to him, perhaps that help, helps us to put into a better perspective all the things of life that it throws at us. And 
this choice to stop and sit at his feet in our busy, distracted culture perhaps is a countercultural thing as well today. To choose to stop when our culture, culture tells us to go, to zoom, zoom, to hear Jesus speak into things that distract us, that worry us, that cause us anxiety. To ask him, why do I feel this or feel like this about this thing? Now, Martha and Mary, I think we can see are different people, different personalities. But I believe both loved Jesus and showed their love in different ways. I think Martha here, through her hospitality, through her generosity with her time and resources, through serving, through organizing this event. Mary, through her extravagance, through the perfume, gift of perfume, through her devotion to Jesus. I think we need both. And I, I don't think a person is necessarily, oh, I'm more like Martha or I'm more like Mary. I think we can be a blend. You might lean one way or the other, but I think we can be a blend of both. We need servants like Martha just as much as we need sensitive learners like Mary. And I would suggest perhaps both are right in this situation. Martha being right perhaps in realizing she needed help. How many times in the church do we have people that don't reach out, say, you know what, I can't do it all. I need help. I can't do it on my own. I mean, that's healthy, right? We need that honesty, that directness, the servant heart and hospitality of Martha. And Mary being right in that she's not going to conform to her culture if it keeps her away from Jesus. She was willing to be with and taught by him no matter the cost, no matter what people thought. We need that devotion, the extravagance and the counter-cultural attitude of Mary. So I think, yeah, there is a broader point to be made here. Jesus uses this situation to springboard into something else. So as we conclude, what I'd like to do is stop and take five minutes and sit at his feet and listen to him and what he might say to us today whether it be um, something through what I've said, whether it's something that God has been speaking to you for you know, this week or ongoing over time. And so let's take a pause and um, ask for his perspective on things. Um, maybe hear him say, my dear one, my dear John, my dear Jill. So um, we'll take five minutes to do that. And then after we're done, I'd like to open it up to people here or online. No obligation, of course, but if you'd like to share what um, you believe Jesus has um, spoken to you, um, more than welcome to share that on zoom what we'll do is if you have something you'd like to share if you would like to type that in the chat and then we'll have uh sunny on her wireless um i believe if she's willing to 
to, she'll speak out what you've typed in. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Um, so let's take five minutes and I'll start us off by saying, come, Lord Jesus, come.
So, um, absolutely no pressure for people that are here. I know that we're small in numbers. And if we just sit here for a little while and um, no one feels comfortable, that's great. That's totally great. Um, Scott? I'm a little shorter. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just got home from a two-week working vacation in Manitoba, and um, first vacation since before COVID, and uh, a different workload than my last holiday to Manitoba, where I worked on Kim's laptop and was able to achieve what I needed to in sort of a spotty uh, work schedule while trying to visit and be present for family and friends. Um, so I didn't get the uh, Martha look from anyone. <laughs> um, but I perhaps should not have presented it to all the people that I work for, that it was a working holiday and I was gonna be able to achieve a lot of things because at times it was really difficult and some of these small towns didn't have connections or poor connections anyway. Um, I have this one large account that I work on and the gentleman that I work for is a fellow believer. He's in Vermont and this client is in Dallas and they spend almost $2 million a year on Google ads. And I have to make sure that they don't waste a lot of money. Um, and that it's <clears throat> their account is working well. So um, I'm in there every day when I'm at my home office. And this is going to be a bit difficult because there's this, these blocks to me getting into my account. Google has, secures these accounts. So they see this stranger on the road from a laptop trying to access in the, the account. And I have to go through multiple people to give me these secret codes to get into the account. Anyway, what I'm trying to get to is when I'm in my work mode, at times I don't really think like my true self as a believer and treat the people I work for as if they know that and they know my morality or whatever. But this gentleman is a fellow believer. And after these hassles, he said, maybe it's God telling you to take a couple days off. <laughs> I was super shocked by that. Um, I've had great conversations with this gentleman, but I've had conversations where you know, he's lighting uh, my pants on fire to get something done. And I was really surprised at the 180 that he took there. Um, and it got me thinking, you know, you should always, you know, walk like you're a believer in every phase of your life. I just sometimes put my work self, non-faith self or whatever in this arena with the people that I work for um, because they're not, judging me on that non-life it's it's a uh, you've agreed to do an exercise something that helps them for the money you're getting and you you do it there's no messing around or um saying hey the deets don't matter <laughs> so i was uh yeah glad to hear the way nate presented 
that scripture. It's something that this passage means a lot to Kim and I. And um, Kim went to a, like a women's retreat years ago in mission. And it's something when it comes up, we really are interested in what it's trying to say because we're so motivated in our work and the details. And sometimes we get lost in those. And the main thing I think in what God is trying to say to me is live your life with your belief in me and you are in me and to do that all the time. And I think that's the message in whatever mature way that you can fold that in and be that person to every sort of phase of your life. Um, I don't know if this was co coherent at all, but that's what I, that's what I felt him saying to me. And at times I've found it difficult to be that faithful person in certain arenas of my life because I believe that people won't understand me. But it brings me back to a memory when I first was working in the, in the world at uh, Overweighty Foods up north, that there was a guy who was on the overnight shelf stocking crew with a bunch of us and they called him Reverend Al. And I wasn't a believer at that point. And I always wondered why people were snickering about Reverend Al. But Reverend Al would not take a one minute over the allowed coffee break. And people would snicker about him and say things about him. And I think God presented him to me in one of the first steps of people I saw that were believers before I became one. And I still remember that. And I remember that, that was his morality is he treated his employer fairly and he was open and honest and he was a kind gentleman and I started speaking with him and not I wasn't snickering at him and I God has placed these people throughout my life up to the point that I did believe and became a Christian and um, I think this past discussion with this gentleman that I work for in Vermont was another step and a reminder um, that God is so patient and kind and gentle to me. And um, I'm going to continue to chew on that and, you know, be my true self, I hope and pray, as I <laughs> continue on and hitting 60 and still learning so much and tripping over myself the odd time. So thank you for your patience and grace listening to this. It was uh, kind of a spaghetti spewed out, but I think there's a great message in there. Thank you. Lovely. Uh, Nathan, we have some people here on Zoom who have some things they'd like to share. Uh, both Rick and Stephanie have sent messages in the chat, if I can awesome. read those out. Awesome. Um, Rick has shared, even though the world is go, 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 you need to realize you can't run through a plate glass window. Have a balance. Nice. That's very like lovely. Phrasing. No running through plate glass. Yes. Uh, our lovely Stephanie says, relationship building is a virtue. Above all else, to build that intimate relationship with God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Serving God is important, and it makes him happy that we do. If we do, and we have established that intimate relationship with him first, it affects how we choose to serve and what we focus our life on. Hmm. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Very well said. Yeah. Hmm. I was thought came to me that, um, and I'm not saying Martha was doing this, but at times 
I've felt it's easier to do the things than to do the small talk. And I don't know if anyone else can relate to that. And, uh, but then I remember and reminded that I'm built for relationship as well, not just to do the things, but also for a relationship with him and with other people. So, yes, Sonny. If I might share, I think the thing that really struck me this time hearing the text um, was that I really enjoyed what you brought, the perspective that Martha wasn't necessarily in the wrong in this. Um, because whenever I've heard this story taught before, like when I first heard it in Sunday school, it was always, oh, you should always be like Mary. And Martha was in the wrong here. She shouldn't have yelled at, at her sister or at Jesus or whatever. I appreciate the perspective that both of these people want the same thing, that Mary and Martha aren't being pitted against each other. They won't, they both want to serve God and have relationship with God, but they're just going about it in different ways. And that the moral of the story is, oh, you should only be like Mary. It's that there's a balance somewhere between those two, between those two points. Thanks, Thank you. Okay. No one else would have has anything else to uh, add. Um, I will close our time with prayer and uh, we'll go about our day. Um, so Lord, again, we lift all this up to you. Lord, from what I have said, if what needs to stick, any points that uh, you have um, made through my feeble words, let them stick. And whatever needs to fall away like leaves, let it fall away, God. Um, I want to leave you, we want to experience freedom as we learn uh, about your text and understand it uh, in, in a better way, Lord. I, I pray that um, we might understand this text a little better today. God, continue to speak to us about it through the week, Help us to ruminate on it, um, Lord. Um, bring new insights. Lord, could you speak to us through so many ways? Give us ears to ear, hear and eyes to see, um, see you uh, this day and for the rest of the week. In your name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great Sunday. <laughs>